0: Less than a year ago, on December 22nd, 2018, 100 Chinese worshipers in mainland China were arrested. In the darkness of night, government officers raided their place of worship and dragged them to jail. Their crime. In a statement leaked out of Beijing via Hong Kong, said that Christian ideology is a threat to national security, and as such, All religious symbols are banned, even Christmas decorations. This was, of course, around Christmas time. Now, were these churches supporting terrorism or an uprising against the government? No. They were teaching the gospel and the promise of the resurrection. Through this ministry, people who had been oppressed and treated like modules in an economic system by the Chinese government were beginning to see their value and the value of other people as image bearers of the living God. They began to care sacrificially for those in need, making their own government look bad. And the natural outcome of people becoming free and the ideology that really scares people in power is that the people begin to long for a more democratic way of seeing the world. New Testament scholar Willie James Jennings wrote, Speaking holy words has serious consequences. These are not words of simple God talk. There's nothing inherently serious or holy in talking about God. The holy words that bring consequences are words tied to the concrete liberating actions of God towards broken people. Such holy words bring the speakers into direct confrontation with those in power. People who encounter the gospel are set free from sin and shame, addiction, fear, oppression, and dependence on empire. And these are the people that empires fear. Not because we're militant or because we're violent, but because we refuse to play along. We begin to be the squeaky wheel the prophetic voice that pushes back against the warped values of a human-centered enterprise. You can see it happening in China. We saw it through the ministry of Oscar Romero in El Salvador, Cesar Chavez in California, Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights Movement, Desmond Tutu in South Africa, uh, John Woolman the Quaker who stood against American slavery, and his counterpart William Wilberforce who led the way in Great Britain. You see it in people who have come to know Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I see it in these 10 years of ministering together. I see it in many of you. And I want to see it in more of us, more of the time, in more diverse ways. Here's the good news. I believe that Jesus wants more of that too. And on this Pentecost Sunday, I want us to look at a passage that teaches us to pray in the Spirit. And I'm sort of playing on words there just to tip you off as we go along. Pray in the power of the Spirit, yes, but also to pray in the Spirit, right? Like, come, Holy Spirit, pray, uh, fill us and empower us, your church. I began with a story about the Chinese church. The setting is completely different, but in many ways, if you remove the place, the year, and the names, I could be describing the setting of the church in the book of Acts, the church under the Roman Empire. In the story we're exploring recently, Peter and John have been arrested by some religious leaders who operated the temple in Jerusalem. What was the crime of Peter and John? Well, they had encountered a man who was on the temple steps begging because he was crippled for 40 years. And when they passed by him, they received a prompting to pray for him. And when they prayed for him, Jesus healed the man through Peter and John. And what happened was Peter and John began to talk to the crowds who were now gathering and rejoicing about this healing. And they were saying, hey, it's not us that did it. It's Jesus. Remember the guy that was crucified just 50 days ago? Well, he rose from the grave and he healed this man. Dangerous ideology to those who are invested in preserving political power through a relationship with Rome. Now having no case against Peter and John, and I'm unable to make them disappear, like powerful people often do, they couldn't make them disappear, i.e., kill them and put them in a hole, because the crowds were all around. There were witnesses everywhere, and the crowds were saying things like, "Look what God has done." The only thing they could do was warn them, threaten them not to teach in the name of Jesus again. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. Again, if you're able to stand, plus it'll help you keep awake, stand with me. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God and with one accord said, O Lord, it is you who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ." For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the nations and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence." while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders to take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, thank you for this word and what it represents, not just information, but the hope of powerful transformation. I pray that you would increase our faith through what you have to say to us today. And help us to ask for more of the life that's revealed in this word. Amen. You may be seated. For the past 10 years, probably more than that now, 15 or so superhero movies have combined to be some of the most lucrative film projects in the world. The The, the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avengers Endgame, was the fastest ever to make over a billion dollars in ticket sales in its first five days. As the name suggests, Avengers, right, there is um, some comic book violence that takes place, super-powered characters do battle, there's good and evil and some gray in between, but one thing that is certain, in these films there's very little humility, nobody really stands for getting pushed around, they avenge and they push back and it's all supercharged and really fun CG. CG. Peter and John have just witnessed the power of the living God working in and through them. They've just been released by the worldly authorities, releasing them from captivity. And what do they do? Do they form a posse and pray for some superpower, Holy Spirit power, to go clean some house at the temple? Do they call down thunder from heaven to crush the worldly authorities? Actually, not to... Far before this actual scene, John and his brother James ask God, Hey, God, should we uh, call down thunder from heaven, lightning from heaven to fry this town that rejected Jesus? He's just like, No, no, boys. That's not how we do. What does the church and the power of the Spirit do in the face of this oppression and resistance? They pray in the Spirit. Now, let's pay attention to the text and see how this works. Peter and John get released from jail. They go back to church, not a building, they go back to their community, the early church, this gathering of disciples of Jesus. And after they relay everything that had happened, so the healing of the crippled person, and then they preached the gospel. And then 5,000 people were converted. And then they were arrested by Annas and Caiaphas, the captain and the captain of the temple guard, the same dudes who arrested and had Jesus crucified not long before this. They relayed the threats of the authorities against them to proclaim or to not proclaim uh, the name of Jesus or the resurrection. And finally, they told them about their release, right? And after all this, the people in the power of the Spirit pray. But notice what they don't pray about. This is really interesting. They don't pray that God would avenge them, and they don't pray for superpowers to defeat their enemies. In fact, if you look closely, you recognize that when they begin to pray, they don't pray for themselves at all, at least not at first. Instead, they pray scripture, and the scripture they pray is one of the Psalms of praise, It starts like this, O Yahweh, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the face of opposition and looking at overwhelming odds, it is important to remember the one to whom we pray. Peter and John and the early disciples were facing persecution by people with ultimate worldly power. People who ran the three most influential systems or sectors of the ancient world. And those three things are the religious world of ideas, the economic world of money and power, and the military world of empire and enforcement. They also knew that they were up against unseen powers. The religious leaders and Pontius Pilate, they knew Jesus wasn't guilty, and they crucified him anyway. Anyway, their actions seemed to be aided, pushed along by some kind of unseen force. The religious leaders knew that Jesus had healed the man through the ministry of Peter and John. The man who had been crippled and known by everybody for 40 years on those temple steps that the priests used to walk up. They knew this man. He stood healed in front of them. How did this happen? Well, those guys say Jesus did it. Yep, Jesus did it. 5,000 people standing around. Yeah, they say Jesus. this guy was crippled yesterday. And every day before that for 40 years now, here he stands. And the religious leaders, what do they do? They fail to believe. They harden their hearts and look the other way. Call it demonic. Call it irrational self-preservation. Call it what you want. But the resistance to the gospel is rarely, merely intellectual or rational. It's almost always something deeper, something more elusive. And we can learn a lot here. Most of our battles are not merely physical or not merely the result of bad policy. There are forces at work that encourage evil and discourage us in the way of living for God. Sin and evil have infected and affected, to some degree, nearly every single thing we touch. And we need help from outside of ourselves. Right? We need like something outside of the system, outside of my DNA and my world and yours as well. We need something better than the best politician. We need something better than what humans by themselves can produce. Someone from outside. In the face of such opposition the brute force of the empire and the unseen spiritual world, the early church was wise to remind themselves that their master and ally, God, is the one who created the heavens and the earth and the seas. That's an ancient Hebrew poetry way of saying, Yahweh made everything and controls everything, all the time, for all time. Next, the church prays truth, they remind themselves of the important fact that the scriptures were handed down to them. Uh, that are handed down to them are God breathed. That somehow, through their very human authors, their very time-bound, contextualized texts. I mean, there's if you read through the Bible, especially some of the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, there's just some weird stuff in there. Like I don't get what you're on about here. There's foreign language and weird personality types, and strange perspectives. And somehow, these scriptures are spirit-filled. They are more than mere stories or wise words. They are authoritative and trustworthy. And in this case, they prayed the beginning of one of David's Psalms, Psalm 2, as it ended up in the canon of scripture. Psalm 2 is recognized by both Jews and Christians alike to be what's known as a messianic psalm. That is, it speaks of a time in David's time, but also points forward to a time uh, when God's anointed Savior or Messiah or Christ in Greek would, would come and, and rescue people. And what, what happens is, in that psalm, David recognizes that there's, there's kings and powers and authorities that have set themselves up in opposition to God's anointed one, to God's Messiah or Savior or Christ. They all mean the same thing. And and, and what the point of the psalm is, is that even though it looks like those kings and powers are winning, they're fools. They're fools because Yahweh is in control over all history. And what he reveals to David is that his Messiah will be vindicated one day and shown victorious over all these fools. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Psalm 2 Was always understood in the context that the Messiah, the Christ, the deliverer, would be Israel's Savior. And everybody else would look foolish, but Israel would look good and be vindicated because their Savior would be on top. But watch how the early church applies this when they pray in the power of the Spirit. I'm quoting again from Acts 4 For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the nations and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Let me break that down. The church prays a prayer that sees everyone partially in opposition to Jesus' messiahship. You've got Herod, who represents the king of the Jews, Pilate, the face of the Roman Empire, The nations, just like everybody else, and Israel, the people of God, they're all part of it. And it gets even better. In light of this opposition, this seemingly impossible to defeat opposition, the church adds the line in their prayer to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. That is, no matter how bad things look, God, we trust you. We trust you because of what happened with Jesus. It looked like the powers of the world had crushed him, but God not only knew what would happen, but he, he planned to use their hardness of heart to bring about the death and resurrection of Jesus, the greatest rescue plan in the history of rescue plans. It's amazing. Now, now, don't miss the fact, thanks, Coon, that when people mess with God and his anointed He unleashes life. Like, I don't know if you remember Exodus chapter 2, there's this crazy Pharaoh, and he begins to be threatened by the Israelites. And so he tries all these different ways to kill them off. Harder labor, not feeding them well. Finally, he goes so crazy, he says, I'm going to kill every firstborn, every son, every male child that's born, I'm going to kill them. Here's why you do that if you're the Pharaoh. You don't kill everyone because that's your workforce. But if you kill all the males, then you lose the male name and you lose the Hebrew line. So basically what he's saying is, I'm going to enfold all of these people and eventually they'll all become Egyptians and they'll just be a lesser half-breed form and they'll all be slaves forever and they'll lose their identity. Now, what happened when people, when Pharaoh tried to mess with God's people whom he had promised to bless, they started multiplying like crazy. There's so many of them that Pharaoh got freaked out and lost control. In Acts chapter 4, even as Peter and John are arrested from proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, on the outside it looks like the powers had won, right? They shut him up. What happened? 5,000 people came to faith. And I mentioned the persecution of the Chinese church earlier, but what I didn't say is that China is one of the fastest growing countries for Christianity. The official government, now the government never wants to give Christianity a flattering look. The official statement by the government is that there's 38 million Christians in, in, uh, in China, 38 million. My friend and historian Don Lewis at Regent College, who's a resident expert on Chinese Christianity, says there's at least 80 million Chinese Christians. It's one of the fastest growing countries for Christianity. It's not the fastest. Does anyone know the fastest country right now per capita of growing Iran. You think there's no persecution there? Uh, Some people were beheaded recently in Iran and it's the fastest growing place for Christianity. People, when people try and crush God's plan, he, he scoffs at the rulers and does amazing things. Just try and oppose the will of God. And that's meant to give us courage. And that is what the early church was doing. They were praying in the power of the Spirit. Look, I'm praying to a God who made everything and controls everything. I'm praying to a God who in the midst of opposition on the surface that looks impossible. Oh yeah, he's the God that takes opposition and does great things. That's who's on our side. Now, the church prayed, and they began to uh, encourage themselves that, you know, God is this one who is above all of the fray, and he can do it, and he works all things for his good and his purposes. Now that they've kind of built this foundation of prayer on the power and character of God, now that they have encouraged and reminded themselves who it is that they're addressing in prayer, they now turn their attention to making some requests from this God. In our passage in Acts 4, the church prays for three things. Three things. First, that God would take notice of those threats against them. Now, had I been praying this prayer in the flesh, or had they been praying the prayer in the flesh and not the spirit, they may have asked God to crush their enemies. Sometimes in the Psalms, it says stuff like that. So there's like some precedent. Hey, note to self, kids. Not all the psalms are supposed to be mimicked. They're just people's like emotions, right? Like, um, you're not supposed to do everything you read in the Bible. Thank goodness. They may have prayed, "Hey, make these guys suffer," or "Make the church victorious, Lord." But having rooted themselves in the power of God and in the scriptures like Psalm 2, they're placing their faith and their trust in God to work in his way and in his time. They're praying the power of the spirit. See, Psalm 2 tells them that ultimately the enemy of God's anointed um, won't stand. And that's his job. That's his job. Vengeance is the Lord's. And It's not for us to, to get revenge on people. Now, with that in mind, they ask God to simply take notice, to look upon them, to see them, to let them know that he knows their fear and their struggle. And that's enough. The gift of encouragement and the presence of God can propel us to do incredibly courageous things and, and propel us to, to burst through resistance and, and discouraging moments, and let's just pause and ask with the early church, like where could we use the encouragement and presence of God in our lives, both as a church and as an individual? When was the last time that, that you prayed for God's encouragement and presence in your life in a, in a consistent way, you know? Like four days in a row, wake up and ask, God, I just... Would you be more present in my life? Would you give me courage to live for you today, to be myself? You know, sometimes as Christians, we get in this way of thinking like, all I'm supposed to do is be a robot and do God stuff all the time. And then, I think one of the other things that we got to break through is that we're all wearing these masks and we're pretending to be God robots. When really, I think God wants us to break out and be more whole and be more complete and to be more fully who he created us to be in our places of work and in our families and in our friendships and in our communities, that's where we'll be most effective, not being God robots, but being more healthy and whole in the power of God. We can ask for that. Second, they asked that God would enable them to continue to speak his word with boldness. In Acts 4, we see this word boldness three times. It's the same Greek word. Parasius. Parasius. And It's sometimes translated as confidence. It's the same Greek word. In verse 1, the religious leaders were in awe of Peter and John's confidence or boldness. It's the same thing. Here in verse 29, the church asks that God would give them Holy Spirit confidence or boldness. And in verse 31, we see that he answers their prayer because the ground shakes and they begin speaking in confidence or boldness. Now, there are lots of people in the world who are bold. There are lots of people who love to tell you their opinion, whether you want to hear it or not. They are full of self-confidence. And there are even more people out there, maybe you know some, maybe you are some, who are willing to be a quasi form of bold, When they spout their loud opinions from the safety of their social media accounts and their underpants. (laughs) Being bold by itself does not make you good or right. It's just a louder version of what you already are. The world doesn't need bolder opinions. The world doesn't need bolder Christian opinions either. I think that the church praying in the power of the Spirit in Acts four is not praying for the ability to be louder and bolder than we already are. They're praying for Parisius, for the confidence of God that comes from the outside, not more of me. You don't need more of my opinions. That's why I preach the Word of God. I start going off the rails. Just hook me because, like, I usually don't have anything better to, than God to say. Right? You don't either. The church in the power of the Spirit prays for more of God's word. His message should be spread in boldness and confidence. It's a boldness not to run over people, not to blast them with your opinions, but, but to win them over with the good news of God's word. And the world could use a lot more good news. Amen? the world could use a dose of God's word embedded in a person who is confident in their own skin but or, or not so much confident in themselves but confident uh, from God who enables them both to proclaim his word but also to live it with humility. That's where we need Holy Spirit power. Courage to proclaim his word and to live it in flesh in humility. Now whose job is that? I, that's the pastor's job. Or that's that's people with the gift of evangelists, right? Or that's the early church, right? That's the, that's their job. They got that groundwork going and now we just... Come on, you know what I'm going to say. It's the vocation of every disciple of Jesus, every follower. In the Greek, the uh, the church is literally called the ekklesia, right? Ekklesia, ek is this... Greek prefix, that means throw out, get out. If you like to throw a ball, ekbalo, throw out. Ek, get off me. Get out. The sent out ones, the ekklesia, the church is literally called the ekklesia, the gathered sent out ones. We gather around the word of God, worship, and sacrament, and we eat a meal because we like to eat at legislatures. But then we're sent out to like go do something about all of this, right? The sent out ones, the ekklesia, the bearers of the message. That is the role of all the people who make up the church. Now, the final request is that God would pour out his power to heal and to perform signs and wonders. Now, we already saw a form of that outpouring in Acts chapter 2, where people were able to hear the gospel in their own heart language. And they were able to hear that heart language out of the mouths of people who before they received the Spirit weren't able to speak those other languages. That's, that's kind of the miracle of, of Pentecost. And then we saw later in Acts chapter 2, well not tonight, I'm just saying like if you, if you read that, um, what happened is this radical community is formed in the power of the Spirit. And people, 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 f- Start to sacrifice their goods and, and and their time, and and they began to be this countercultural community that just was attractive to people in the ancient world. And then we saw this outpouring of power for Peter and John to heal this man who had been crippled for forty years, and th- these signs and wonders—they're not parlor tricks in the spirit. Um, Enabling you to do things that can impress your friends. Like, check this out. What is he, tongue of fire? Or, you know, it, it's not, that's not what this is about. These are works of the Spirit of God designed to restore brokenness and to point, point people toward Jesus. You look at all of the acts of power and the healings in the Bible, and they're all restoring brokenness or pointing people to faith in Jesus. That's what they're for. Now, I, I've seen people healed. Through prayer. Some I've had the opportunity to pray for. It, it, it's amazing, but it doesn't happen all the time. And, and I've both given and received words of wisdom that seem to come from God. And it comes and goes. And I, and I know this that when I was on my prayer retreat this last May, four days on an island, just me, and praying and planning and studying during that time, I I was invited by God, and I was convicted inside to pray more for sensitivity to the Spirit, for more faith, to see signs and wonders, not earth-shaking and lightning bolts, but to function more out of a place of faith and and trusting in the power of the Spirit more than my own great ideas. And and I'll say this, that was in mid-May, and even to this, to this point, it's been about a month, I've received a vision or two for people that I've been in conversation with and when I've shared, they affirm that what I've said is good and right and in line with scripture and in line with their lives. And I wonder... What will happen as I continue to press in? And I wonder what would happen if we as a church took seriously that the Lord of the universe has poured His Spirit out and wants us to stop playing around so that we might be more effective in our ministry for the glory of God and the good of the world. Because that's what happens when the Spirit gets a hold of us. It, It glorifies God and is good for people. And who doesn't want more of that? I want more of that. Now, let me give you an example from our very own Sarah Lawler, who told me I could share this. Because sometimes when pastors share stuff, you're like, yeah, you're just the pastor. You get paid to pray on an island. And that is true, that is a benefit. Um, <laughs> so I want, I want to share a story of just a sister in Christ who's sitting in the back right now, um, who's just like us, right? Um, Sarah has been praying every week this year, I think, since January. Um, She's been praying every week um, that the spirit would lead her to encounters with people that he wants her to bless Simple as that just like holy spirit. You're alive like guide me to stuff because i'm I don't know if she was thinking this but i'm just kind of bored like I I want there's more to this life, right? And uh, so every week she's been receiving impressing impressions and promptings just to call people people from church people from the community God just just hook me up with people um that maybe need something, she doesn't even know half the time what the need is. It's like, gives them a call, right? And every single time it seems to be just the right thing, like, thank you so much, I really did need presents, or I really did need whatever it is. And I just wanna close with the simplest of examples so that you don't think that the life and the power of the Spirit is always fireworks or even these big promptings. So Sarah's praying, hey, Lord, show me where you're at today. And she goes to drop in soccer at the Sportsplex with little Silas. And she's praying by having eyes open to see those around her. And just, Lord, where's the kingdom of God at the sportsplex, this stinky, leaky, awesome soccer place? And she ends up dialoguing with this mom, just about like random, lighter topics, you know, just stuff like you do when you meet someone. And it turns out that this woman revealed that she and her husband had uh, met doing Christian ministry together in their youth, and that they uh, sadly had recently left the church that they were a part of because of some um, theological political issues that they just felt really bad about, and they were really struggling, like are, are, were really hurt by this church experience. And then, and then, so Sarah mentions that she goes to Lettered Streets, and she shared, and then this lady just says, "Like, oh, I know, I know Charles and Patrick from." from uh, Elizabeth Station, he has some work connections with, with those guys. And from whatever that vibe that he's got or whatever they've shared, um, they were just thrilled to know that there is, is, is a, healthy, uh, a healthy church out there that has, is doing a lot of blessing. And so, um, no fireworks, just a lovely conversation and an encouraging conversation that the Lord led Sarah to, and it's a conversation that, that both of these women want to continue, like still in contact, still, still working this relationship, still just being present with people. And guys, it can be that simple when we, when we just ask God, would you just work in and through me today to have a simple conversation with someone? And, and as I share that, I'm looking at the lights coming on, on conversations I've had with many of you. You're like, well, that happens to me then the Spirit is working in you. What would happen if we just say, God, that was really fun. Could you do it more? Like, What if we were more intentional about it? Think of what would happen. What could happen? Our gracious Heavenly Father reminds us that people just need to be listened to and met where they're at. And they are everywhere when we want to see them, when He helps us see them. The celebration of Pentecost reminds us that God has given himself, his spirit, to dwell in us. What would happen if we, as individuals and the church, took that seriously and began to ask for him to work in and through us? What would happen if we began to ask for boldness to share his word, for healings of bodies and minds and spirits, if we began to ask for signs and wonders and for opportunities to share a part of our story, our walk with Jesus? Would not the ground of opposition be shaken and our souls come alive with purpose and power for life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm struck by uh, how when we talk about the gospel, we, also, we often pause at the cross and that is good and right to be at the cross. Lord, without the cross, um, we wouldn't be able to talk about other things. But Lord, it's just so obvious that the gospel doesn't stop with the cross. That, that includes hope for resurrection and power for living and a fullness of life that matters. Not just for our own comfort, or our own sanity, but it matters for your creation. It matters, Lord, when you empower us and and work in and through us to be a blessing to people around us, to the choices we make, and how to interact with the earth, and in our jobs, and in the way that we spend, and save, and plant, and and reap. Lord, um, Open our minds and our imaginations to how walking after you and living in the spirit affects every cell of our bodies, every decision we make. I pray that you would pour out your life, your goodness, your spirit, and to every man, woman, and child here, Lord. Bless you. Amen.